And we're live. Welcome to the first podcast of Sacred Obscura. I'm your host, Abby Sitterly. And I'm Jason Barber. Okay. So, Jason, you want to give them a little bit of a background on what we're doing here? So, uh, the idea of our podcast is to map God through film, through the eye of cinema. You know, we want to find out movies that point to God or are longing for him or kind of dealing with those spiritual metaphors or echoes or... Or voices that we kind of hear in movies, we can see in movies somehow, um, and just kind of point to him in different ways. So we want to kind of explore the different avenues, and we don't know where it's going to go. It could lead us to a crazy horror film. It could lead us mm-hmm. to a comedy. It could lead us to different ways in which we didn't see how God is portrayed, or per- like, or not even portrayed, but like theological themes. Theological on themes, some level, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Project, you know, in 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 cinema, because cinema in many ways is kind of like a meditation it kind of deals with a lot of the deeper remote stuff that the longings we have and it is a visual language right. for us to understand understand those d- complex spiritual questions yeah and while that's definitely clear in more direct religious film um, what is really wonderful about the nature of our human condition is we all have this innate longing for God so whether or not that is an explicitly Christian uh, discipline it's going to come out somewhere. Um, so w- what we're essentially saying is that inside what could be argued is all genres of film, there's some trace of the hand of God, whether that's just in our longing for him and the unknown that lies between our faith and our doubt, or is more explicit than we might have imagined before. So essentially, it's going to be quite a ride. It's going to be fun. And we, we tend to invite guests from different walks of life, different perspectives, to the podcast so it's not just us talking about why you should watch these movies or why these movies have spiritual themes we kind of want to explore why other people find and yeah. are connected mm-hmm. to movies in uh in a spirit in a, in a spiritual lens or in a transcendental like definitely pre- definitely and i mean again it's easier with more straightforward christian media to you know i want to watch a christian film or a film that has a deeper connotation than something you know topical yeah, I want a something. sermon yeah. in a movie. Yeah, those are readily available if you look for them. But there's we a want whole to channel introduce... for them. Yeah, there's a whole channel. Pureflix. Pureflix. <laughs> so we want to just introduce to you maybe some films that might be outside of your comfort zone, maybe a little avant-garde at times, um, and then some that you'll definitely recognize, more pop culture sort of things that um, you know are hitting the box office. Some classic cinema. Right, because I think what we're definitely trying to do is not say where God is and God isn't. Um, that's definitely an important facility that, and an important discipline that should be applied to our daily life. But in art, sometimes those lines can be a little bit more blurred, and I guess we want to just uh, trace out the different echoes of that. Yes, perfect. Echoes. So echoes. One, one of the first echoes that I think we want to explore is a movie that came out last year, and it is written by one of the fathers of Transcendental Cinema. Now, what is Transcendental Cinema? Well, uh, the term is coined by that said director, Paul Paul Schrader, Schrader. who is an incredible filmmaker. And sort of what his meditation on transcendental film is, is that it has to do with almost a surrealist, absurdist longing for something more. There's always an element of uh, faith on some level, whether that's some almost unbelievable, illogical plot device or moment or even um, cinemagraphical experience that occurs on film. 
there's always that element. There's always an, sort of a spiritual angst and existential longing that occurs, and that can be usually both in dialogue, but then also in character development. Um, so Paul is an incredible, <laughs> incredible source for sort of finding out, okay, how do we pull together all these different transcendentalist artists? And luckily for us, Paul Schrader wrote this great book. When he was 26. Film, which is what I'm going to be turning in a couple days. So <laughs> I need to get I mean, it together. I mean, it's you're turning 26, and yet he writes this book <laughs> that has now become the Bible for this. Right. No pun mm -hmm. intended. But, uh, <laughs> but like, you know, he is the one who's explored it. And then he would go on later in his 30s, which makes me feel horrible, to write movies Taxi Driver, American Gigolo, mm -hmm. and the last, and also did many of the rewrites on the Last Temptation of Christ. Classics. And then you're just sitting there, kind of going like, "Man, I feel like I haven't done enough in my life." <laughs> <laughs> and this man did, has done We're it. We're all on different journeys. Yeah, I get it, but yeah. So <laughs> he sets the bar. And many of these films are exploring those kind of um, transcendental ideas, even if even to the extremes of, of, for example, Last Temptation and Taxi Driver, mm -hmm. which. Are really are kind of mirrors in some ways to the movie that we're going to be talking about today, which is the movie First Reformed, which is Paul Schneider's. I was, yeah, I always get his name wrong. Forgive me, but it's his most recent film, and it's kind of his uh, tour de force. Is kind of getting back to where he was back in the '70s and early '80s, and kind of exploring these deeper spiritual stuff that he grew up with. Because he grew up, I think, what was he? He was very reformed Calvinist. Yes. And I think, um, Jason, I think you told me this fact that he didn't actually be allowed to watch. No, the film no, for... he wasn't. He wasn't allowed to watch movies uh, throughout his life because his his parents told him that they were like profane, they were horrible, and these are movies in the fifties and sixties. In you comparison know, like, to today, yeah, it's very tame. Tame. Yes. I mean, kind of melodramatic, but tame. You know, like he he was not allowed to watch any of this cinema, and it wasn't until he got to college. And then his developed his, uh, his friendship with Martin Scorsese, and Francis Ford Coppola, and many of these other directors. That he kind of had this like crash course in education mm -hmm. um, that most of us have, I, I would say, in our twenties, yeah, in our early twenties. Like it's degree. more like we're like, what has the world told us? Especially some of us who grew up in church culture, where we're we're told you're not allowed to watch these movies, right? And then all of a sudden you watch these movies and you go like, what was I missing? There's so much deep. There's so much you know, deep theological, mm -hmm. like, stuff that I could be exploring. And like, their answer, a lot of these movies often are asking the questions we already ask, and it gives us a sense of comfort right. that we're not alone asking these questions. So you can imagine how Paul Schrader felt when he first come up, came up across these incredible transcendental classics, um, like directors such as Ozu, Dresser, Brisson, Brisson, that's Brisson. it. <laughs> Brisson, yeah, Brisson, which uh, that movie, uh, one of the movies that we're probably going to touch on in, is one of the movies that definitely influenced uh, uh, Schneider's uh, first reformed. And the movie we're going to be talking about is uh, Brisson's A Diary of a Country Priest, which deals with themes, almost identical themes of a priest who's, you know, trying to question his own faith, dealing with the doubts of his faith, dealing with the kind of being ostracized in the community that he's in, um, mm -hmm. and not understanding that community, and also dealing with the complexities of, of like feeling like pulled away from God, mm -hmm. or having no closeness to God. And I think that's stuff that like you see in Die of the Country Freeze, that for any of us who, and, and this is kind of like, go do your research, go back and 
you know, like understand what influenced the directors. And this is what, for me, that's what I did. I had to go back to understand, yeah. like, and you did the same thing with another movie. Yeah, with uh, Ordette, which is uh, one of Dreyer's films. And that is an incredible comparison, especially in the way that it's actually filmed. Um, in similar uh, ways, the movie that we're talking about, First Performed, is pretty much shot straight on. There's these really yeah. wide angles. Um, the full frame is really, really there. But then at the end, the which is the climax, which we won't tell you. About. Oh, spoiler. <laughs> we you have to go watch it. And then you yes. got to come to us and tell us why, like, what you actually felt. Right. So Ordette has Homework. this incredible <laughs> climax in it where at the end, the camera suddenly, even though being still for majority of the film, suddenly starts to twist around the main characters in this sort of voluptuous dance kind of thing. And a similar thing occurs in First Reformed because for the breadth of the film, you have the main character sort of going through, you know, the, the rote of daily life and existential crisis that's sort of brewing on the other side of that. But then when it hits the absolute breaking point at the climax, of course, the camera, again, takes on a life of its own and sort of breaks out of the mold, which is really uh, metaphorical for what occurs in the film. So if that doesn't entice you on some <laughs> level, I don't know what to well, tell you. Well, let's talk about the film, because I know yesterday somebody asked us to define the film, and I think both mm -hmm. of us kind of came up with... There's a lot in there. Like there, <laughs> We came up with like similar explanations, but different explanations. Because yeah. I observed that yesterday, like, you know, one of our friends had asked us, like, what is First Reformed? And you described it one way, I described it the, the other way, yeah. but it was the same. It was, it was, we were just talking, we're talking about this, the two different But that's the beauty of film is that yeah. it's universal and what I take away from it is different from what oh, you yes. take away from it. And that's a great thing because then we can share about it. And this is the same for our audience too. We can all talk about these films and the even different pieces that stood out. One or two of them look slightly even more confused. Even after we <laughs> that's true. That <laughs> they were just kind of like whoosh, over their head. <laughs> But yeah. let's just describe it, yeah. Yeah, so just to give a brief overview of a plot, uh, it is about a reverend whose name is Ernst Toller, and he is from upstate New York. He has a complicated past, but he's been sort of put in charge of this very small church. It has a very dwindling population of maybe like seven or eight attendees at the most. Um, and this is a very historically rich area. It's an historically notable church. Um, I think it, to, if I'm remembering correctly, it's coming across its 250th year. So, and it was it, part of the Underground Railroad. It has, so it has this, this, yeah. it has its history of social justice, mm -hmm. many, kind of like churches that you can kind of see scattered where we are right now mm -hmm. in Rochester yep. and up, in upstate New York. You see this very common of like older churches. Definitely, here in definitely, Rochester. still maintaining a, a presence in the area. So he, he's from upstate New York, and um, one day one of his parishioners comes up to him. She's a woman, she's pregnant, and she says... Name Mary? Her name is Mary, that's notable. It's <laughs> for those religious that. connotations, yeah. very clear there. And she comes up to him one day and says, Pastor, will you come and minister to my husband? He's a climate change activist and very passionate and radical, but also a little unstable, and I'm worried about him. Would you come speak with him? So for a good portion of the film, it's Ernst Toller speaking with his parishioner, Michael, and having these really interesting conversations. Um, and one of the conversations that really stands out and deals with one of the biggest, I think, themes of the film, which is faith versus doubt, or rather faith and doubt, um, is when he, 
their first conversation occurs and Ernst Toller says to Michael, courage is the solution to despair. Reason provides no answers. I can't know what the future will bring. We have to choose despite uncertainty. Wisdom is holding two contradictory truths in our mind, simultaneously, hope and despair. A life without despair is a life without hope. Holding these two ideas in our head is life itself. And so that's sort of a very different portrayal of what has been maybe the conventional conversation regarding faith and doubt in the past hundred years, especially Mm -hmm. in Christianity, where it's become this very divisive, strong dichotomy. But here he's saying, well, you know what? To be honest with faith and doubt and the ramifications of both, we kind of walk through the everyday with both hanging in our mind. And it's the courage to quote another great author, um, Dag Hammarskjöld, it is the courage to not run away from those two things mm-hmm. that is really, you know, the the push toward clarity. I think, and that's uh, that's another aspect of the movie that I I gravitated towards was you have these younger characters like Michael, and then you also have these characters in the youth group live in an age that everything has to be black and white and certain. Mm-hmm. They have there's a sense of certainty in their faith, you know, if it's certainty in their politics, if like extreme environmentalism or extreme conservatism, you see that in the younger characters. They only live in a world of certainty. And the other character in the in the, in the story is this pastor who, of the mega church, played by Cedric the Entertainer, um, Joel Jeffers, Je- Jeffy, Jeffers, Jeffries, <laughs> but it's Jeffers. And ironically, uh, Paul, the director specifically chose those names because they're based off of megachurch pastors. And there's one named Robert Jeffers. Jeffers. So. And another one, Joel Olstein. Yes. You may have heard of him. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he chose those names because the next door to that uh, to First Reformed is Abundant Life. And Abundant Life is a mega church. It's full of the prosperity gospel. It has a giant cafeteria, and it has big worship uh, events, and it has huge youth group, you know, as a youth group leader with the tattoos and the hipster clothes. Classic. And, like, classic imagery that we are now, as if many of us who've grown up with this culture, kind of sick of, but also kind of, you know, we, we, mm-hmm. we, we kind of read it. We see it every day. It's part of our... It's a part of our cultural upbringing now if you grew up in the evangelical, non-denominational yes. American church. And there are enough uh, like spoofing meme accounts about oh, yeah. it, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you go on Instagram, Very and there's clear. like, it's just everywhere. I mean... I'm sure that youth pastor was on Preachers and Sneakers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, yeah that, definitely. And But yet, you see this sense of certainty in the kids, and you have uh, the, the megachurch pastor kind of you know, skirting the line of what is like the issues that we see nowadays within the church. Are we social justice? Are we prosperity gospel? Are we bending to the need of power and to, and one of the biggest donors to First Reformed and to Abundant Life is uh, an environmentalist, is a capitalist, Mm -hmm. conservative, uh, you know, like he's the, the reason, traditionalist, but he's also the reason that Michael, we're not spoiling anything, is protesting against the environmental issues because his company is one of the biggest polluters in their region. Right. And so you have this dilemma of here's my church that only exists because of this man Mm -hmm. right now, and yet he's also destroying the world around us. Right, it's a very strong moral dilemma that weighs heavy in Toller's mind throughout the film. 
And I mean, there's some definite twists and turns that are really, really incredible to watch. A lot of rife dialogue um, that deals with this. And it's really thought provoking in regards to, you know, what is our responsibility as Christians, especially if we have these doctrines that have to do with, you know, the rapture, if rapture mm-hmm. theology is something that you hold, you know, does that affect the way that you interact with the planet? Does that interact? No, the world's um, going to burn, so who cares? Right. Is it this sort of like had the, departure had... theology? Like, I'm out. See you later. Yeah. Or do we recognize that this Pre-trib. is... Pre-trib. Right. <laughs> There's so many. Or do we recognize that this is, you know, the world that God has made and it's good and he's given it to us for us to care. We are stewards of that, of that, right. of and that that's earth. Literal yeah. scripture. So if you come across these questions, sort of you get pushed into the political agenda one way or the other usually. But for this film, it allows a great amount of patience and sort of kindness to someone who's willing to hold both of those ideas in their head and say, okay, let's yeah. wrestle with it. Yeah, there, he wants you have the the pastor a play by Ethan Hawke, great oh, Ethan Hawke. I mean, we I, easy you know, on the eyes. Yeah, <laughs> so you have easy on the eyes. I have a male like a straight male crush on him. I mean, I've it's always hard not to. I thought it since he was a kid. He has a he was, smolder. He's smolder. I, I remember when I think he was in like Flight of the Navigator and then Dead Poet oh, Society. Yeah. Like I remember watching him as a kid, and you know, then all of a sudden, like as you know, seventeen, eighteen, seeing him in you know, before sunrise and then being like, oh, the relationships I want. And I literally <laughs> went to Vienna trying to recreate before that movie, you know, Wait like till we get there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, when we get to the before trilogy. You're going to hear a lot of sappy stories from me. Sorry. Uh, but, uh, you know, like Ethan Hawke playing this kind of balance so well, he played mm-hmm. that conflict. And I think that's something that we don't want to talk about in our day and age because we're so scared to talk about the, those right. deeper issues of are we stewards? Like, the, like we're talking about the pre-trip, post-trip. I've had pastors tell me, don't worry, the world's going to burn. Yeah. You know, yeah. I've had people like ar- end arguments. Like you're having this deep political argument. And I remember having a girl go, well, it's all going to burn, Jason. And I'm like, what are you supposed to say to that? Right. After, right. you know, you're just sitting there kind of going right? like, like, ah, <laughs> uh, maybe, yeah. But if I like, haven't had my coffee yet, then I say... All right. <laughs> yeah, that was me. It was late. I was. It was like eight o'clock. I had her coffee. I was exhausted. And I'm like, I am just not gonna argue with you. Uh, she has changed her mind as she's gotten older. But this was when she was younger. But um, it was a sense of like you have these questions, and you're wrestling with it, and God lets you have that gray. But we don't want to. We're not told to have that gray anymore. We're told that you know it has right. to be certain and. And I think that's what's so interesting. And I think that's what's so scary for me in this movie. Like, the most scary, terrifying part of this movie was that sense of, like, everything has to be black and white in the world we live in mm-hmm. now. And God is like, no, I'm not black and white. I'm, right. not, these, I'm not these two sides. I'm more than this. You know, I am, I'm right. the creator of all this. So you have to kind of acknowledge something's bigger than me. And you have to look at it as bigger than me. And I think that's what's so interesting about this movie is it says, here's the question. Here it is. Look at it. And you're looking at yourself. Like, are you on these sides? Are you... Pl- are you At least ask the question. Are you asking the question yeah. yourself? Yeah. Yep. And does that cause conflict in you? You know? And sometimes that conflict can give birth to really beautiful things. Yes. But one of the things that I really loved about First Reformed and Paul Schrader's work in general, I think attests to this also, he takes Christianity very seriously, and 
I love that because there's so much film about Christians that is sort of like a farce and likes to play off very cheesy stereotypes. And then you have a lot of straightforward Christian film that sometimes can support those stereotypes, unfortunately. But mm -hmm. what is really great is he does not treat it like a joke. He says, hey, this is an actual method of thought. This is something that you know is a core religious you know it's one of the more prominent religions of the world maybe we should allow the conversation to include that in a fair way yeah. and i really think that 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 pushed it over the edge for me i was like well finally finally i can watch a film about a pastor where i'm not like great it's one of those pastors oh yeah know? oh i know like, this pastor i know yeah, that like, pastor. i know that great I mean, another misrepresentation of what is actually a really rich cultural and philosophical and theological history. I thought both pastors were complex. Yeah. I thought that's oh, what's yeah. so unique about it. It wasn't even the megachurch pastor, which Had like I great lines. I've been watching like the show. I watched like two episodes of the, the new show, The Mighty Gemstones, mm -hmm. that HBO about the megachurch culture, prosperity gospel. Yeah. There's times where I was just bothered by it. And I feel like with Cedric the Entertainer's mm -hmm. performance with it, right. for, for a comedy performer, like he had this ability to kind of show the conflict. Mm -hmm. You know, and the concern, and yeah. that's what's so interesting because he wasn't—he wasn't concerned about himself at moments. He was—he was saying like, "This is the world," and it was almost like he was more cynical than right. than yeah. than Ethan Hawke's character at times because he's like, "Well, guess what? We can't do anything. The kids nowadays—they're this certain. They believe everything has to be this, and that's why politics is so refreshing to them because there's certainty in politics and there's not certainty in God." Right. I think that was his like mm -hmm. his quote. To, Definitely, and, and Paul Schrader. <laughs> props to you man because yeah. to have even the character that's supposed to be a foil to this very serious brooding guy to give him so much depth and like a full complicated and like you know rich personality instead of just like a foil was great it was so awesome to see that you know what you can find camaraderie in the person that you think is like going to be the villain the of the villain. piece. Yeah. Right. Like, he's like, not the villain. I mean, it's so much more than that. It allows the characters to be human I and see. not just these static representations of roles. Yeah. I think what's so interesting is the villains, I almost could say are the people that are the most, who are part of the congregation. It's hmm. like you have, Why is that? I, I think so. Here's my, my, my kind of like tangent is I'm thinking like you have, the, the you know the the guy who helps with the clean in kind of not worried about the alcoholism because he uh, one of the issues of the story I'm not really rooting too much is that uh, Ernest has the pastor Ernest has uh, stomach cancer we believe mm -hmm. and he's using alcohol to kind of and that's a direct reference to the movie Diary of the Country of Priests because he has similar stomach ailment which I think is another spiritual connection that Paul's trying to get into because this. The stomach is, in many ways, the second brain. It is an emotional connection, and also it's something that, like, that many theologians believe that Paul may have struggled with. You know, that was the, the prick thorn against the flat thorn in his side was like a stomach ailment that he mm -hmm. kind of went through. And it's a very Catholic and very traditional Definitely. kind of view of that. And I just kind of made that connection right now. Like that, that was Paul. Yeah. You know, yeah, like that's, that's why these movies have it is because it's direct link to Paul. Um, and uh, so you have this. You have these other characters that are concerned for him. Uh, what's the name of Esther? Yes. You know, mm -hmm. you have all these characters of Esther, and then you also have the the character of the the big the 
parishioner who actually is the funder of First Reformed and Abundant Life, who is actually the preluder, you know, and he's, you don't see them that much, but mm-hmm. they're almost kind of like the antagonists. Like, they're the ones kind of putting the, you know, yeah. the, the, the complexities and doubts into the ma- our, our main characters, like, struggles. And in a sense, they are, they are us. You know, they're the people around us that kind of may say stuff out of concern, but actually are pulling us away from something deeper. And how many times do we catch ourselves doing that and yeah. go, oh, this feels really inauthentic yeah. and so, you're saying and, it anyway. What am I doing? So yeah, they are in a sense kind of the villains of the mm-hmm. story. But the, it's kind of Paul saying, look, no, we're all the villains sometimes. Right. Like mm-hmm. these people that are, are there are stumbling blocks. They are, and they could be in your church. They could be spiritual people. Sometimes it's you. Sometimes <laughs> it's you in the church. Sometimes you are too. Yeah, it's like, I just kind of was just thinking about that as you were talking. I was like, oh my gosh, these smaller characters. Yeah, you may only see maybe what, 10 minutes of them yeah. throughout the whole maybe. like throughout the whole movie. And it's a two-hour movie. And you're just sitting there kind of going like, oh. But th- those are like the little stumbling blocks for him. And those are the ones who put the doubt in. Yeah, what an incredible device to, to have such little screen time for these characters. And they can affect the stability and mindset of the entire film. Well, it affects just, uh, Esther. Just like it's a great example parents. of that. Yeah. Like he, mm-hmm. she is, you know, doing it out of affection, out of a relationship, out of an emotional connection, like we believe between her, like that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, they may have had a relationship after, you know, his, something's after his there, wife yeah. left him and his son passed away as his son was killed in Iraq. You have something. I'm not getting spoiling too much about the movie. <laughs> Jason saw my eyes go really wide. I know. <laughs> I'm, like, like, no. I'm like, no, it's in the first five minutes. So like, we're not going to give it away. That's true. That's true. If you've seen the trailer, I'm sure it's yeah. in there too. It's, it's, even in, it's even in like the, the synopsis on like any, like, I'm like, like Chris it's, Toller, whose wife left him and his son has passed away. Way. You know, like, I'm like, Jason, what are you doing? I didn't do it anything. <laughs> so, uh, but... He calls her a stumbling block. He calls mm-hmm. her something, you know, like he, and it's, maybe it's his narcissism, maybe it's his despair, but, you know. Right, right. I think what's also cool to note is there's a lot of sort of like Catholic references, like you were talking about with, yeah. you know, well, Diary of a Country Priest, but then also Toller is really kind of obsessed with Thomas Merton. So he yeah. frames sort of the film with his own journal entries, which is really interesting, um, sort of this reflective mindset, but to incorporate Thomas Merton in that is interesting because Thomas Merton was a Trappist monk who lived in Kentucky at the Abbey of the Gethsemane. And he is oh, one of so my favorite writers. Same here. Same here. I'm and getting obsessed with him. So and it's just... In the first five <laughs> minutes like books here. of the film, he's like, Thomas Merton, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm sold. Uh, like, no. Not even going to watch this with my phone in my hand. Yeah, and there's like, like a book of Thomas Merton right next to the diary. You're like, oh, come on. So for Catholic <laughs> mystic nerds like Jason and I, oh, we huge. went a little late. But that's the thing about movies. Like, We have to look at... like A lot of these movies we don't have the visual language we think we do that Catholicism has given us. A lot of the great directors mm, mm-hmm. um, from Hitchcock to Scorsese right. to even Coppola, it's, um, like you, even Brisson, they're Catholics. Malik's and religious too, isn't he? What? Malik? He's Malik, religious. yeah, but I think he's not as much Catholic as more, he is the one who, uh, he is a child of Merton. Gotcha. I think in some yeah. ways. Like he's a Christian who 
who understands Martin, uh, Martin, but also his most recent movie that's going to be coming out soon, which we can't wait for the the yes. hidden the hidden life I think it's mm-hmm. called. Yep. you know, is about a Catholic saint who who uh, refused to uh, take the oath again uh, for Hitler, and mm-hmm. so it's like, yeah. and he became a martyr. And, uh, so it's some that, light stuff. Some light stuff. It's going to be a happy, happy movie. <laughs> uh, but like, you have that. You have the Catholics have given us a language, a centuries and centuries of language, and I think one of the issues that came out of the Protestant Reformation is that visual language that we have in art and we have in music that Catholicism gave us was rejected in Protestantism and in American pro, uh, Protestantism even less. Like other than through music, through worship, and eventually through like gospel and blue and like through even country music, like that kind of connection. That was it. The, you know, you would go to these churches and there's maybe a cross, but there's nothing there. And the, we had these stories. And I think for movie directors, you want a way that connects something to spiritual, but you, I think a, a Catholic imagery is very clear. Yes. You know, the definitely. idea of colors, the idea of the starkness of a, of a, of a chapel mm-hmm. or the idea of a prayer, the idea that like Ernest is always wearing black. Yeah. You know, yep. and wearing like the the priest collar. It's he's an Episcopalian priest, but mo- we don't know evangelical pastors that, that wear that. I don't even see that many. It is a you stark know, difference, a, especially aside the prosperity gospel church. You know, and he's in the suit and the he nice. He looks like a dark specter walking yeah. around those like really warm little auditorium. You know, well not little, this big auditorium, and here comes this dark specter in a cassock. It's yeah, crazy. and that's Catholic directors that like like right. Hitchcock, all of them. They knew that this one core image that grabs you as you move as it moves through the scene or moves through the screen. Like you see that, like oh, here's this black image who stands out against everything. You know, like mm-hmm. in the youth group scene. You know, you have the youth group pastor and you have him in black, right? Being the most spiritually honest of the kids, but the kids refusing to kind of. You know, to even understand that, yeah. like the complexity of God, because they're like, no, we want this. And that's a great metaphor for the fact that this film, like I said before, is very ser- treats Christianity very seriously. But what I really liked your phrase there, spiritual honesty, and I've been so comforted in probably the last five or ten years where I've noticed that there are more films that are dealing with this idea of spiritual honesty and saying like, well... Actually, it's not all sunshine and roses. And the minute you ask Jesus in your heart or whatever, like your life yeah. isn't perfect, and here's how it's it not, plays yeah. out in the day to day. That your marriage is not going to be healed. Like, like you know, yeah, you're like not, you're not going to get a nice job. Yeah, it it is not. Those things are not promised to us. Like yeah. a lot of doctrine, especially modern doctrine, would like to say otherwise. Yeah, I think which is Bonhoeffer, not founded in scripture. There's a great quote uh, that Bonhoeffer says that I that I love. Let me find it for a second. There's that one where he says. Um, Jesus bids a man come and die. And that's faith, yes. essentially. So, I mean, first reformed, I can think of uh, Ragamuffin. Yes. I think that the quote was, when Christ calls on us, he leads us to death. It's pretty literal. That's literal. <laughs> but I ever said that in the cause for discipleship. You know, mm-hmm. he says that if we are, it's it death to ourselves, death to our past identities, um, a spiritual death often, mm-hmm. but also for him, yeah. a physical death. And I think, yeah, so it's like, I think that's, that's something that, that like, we don't want to talk about that where we, we've mm-hmm. not, we've, we've both grown up in a culture that, that hides more than, than wants to be honest. We, we struggle yeah. with honesty, which he, is why I think in the modern Christian sort of rebellion against that, the 
words of authenticity and intentionality is sort of resurfaced because that's what we're sort of clinging to. Yeah. So, I mean, I can think of like Ragamuffin, which came out a couple of years ago, which is about um, Rich Mullen's life. And he oh, lived yeah. a life of um, a lot of emotional turmoil on a lot of levels and existential turmoil also, but was very, very prolific in his worship writing and such. But then you also have other films like... Um, Silence, which came out, which is a Scorsese oh, yeah. film. Scorsese, then, I think, is at his best when he goes into those themes. Definitely. Like, I mean, Shusaku Endo's book is incredible. Yeah. And it's a little... Contra- it was controversial when it was adapted by Scorsese, but that book has always had controversy because it allows there to be some sort of grace, even in apostasy, which is an entire other podcast yeah, we can go mean, into. And that's why a lot of people um, our age are now looking back at uh, Last Temptation of Christ, uh, which Scorsese did, which is very similar in that sense of silence. Um, he He's dealing with like these ideas of like, okay, like Christ is mm-hmm. human. I, I like, I'm giving you that view, Christ is human. I'm not giving him as divine. I'm showing you as human. Like, what mm-hmm. if he had the same spiritual doubts as us? And uh, of course, same director wrote that's out of the comfort zone. Yeah, yeah, and it's definitely out, and it's a director who you know it's written from a book from a, an Orthodox. It's it's ironic. It's interesting. Last Temptation of Christ. We were re-exploring. You have a Catholic director written from a book from a Greek Orthodox, then rewritten by a screenwriter who is you know Dutch Reformed Protestant, and you almost have these. It's like a layer cake mm-hmm. of the complexities and theological thoughts in one movie. And I look at it now. I mean, as a kid. I wasn't allowed to watch it. I did get it when I was in college, but like I wasn't allowed to watch it because it's like Jesus has sex. Yes, he has sex after he got married to Mary Magdalene <laughs> in the movie. People forget that part. <laughs> clear, clear, different. <laughs> but like that's not how everybody in the church said it when I was a kid. They're like, no, Jesus had sex. And you're like, oh, like okay, like it's a fantasy scene. I did buy yeah. that movie at that Criterion Collection sale, and I yeah. told. I told somebody about it, and they were like, "You shouldn't watch it. You should not." Have watch you watched it, it yet? And I haven't watched it yet. But I, I, I think feel we should like we should rewatch one. that again because I I, get, I got rid of my copy because I never saw like, but I would like to rewatch that it now. That one is definitely outside my comfort zone. Yeah, and I think that's something interesting for us. That may be a future podcast, Less Temptation. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I think it's interesting because you heard it here first. <laughs> we may do. I don't know. We got to talk about it. But like, but like, I think uh, you have. Where was I going? <laughs> I know. I, I lost myself do. on a tangent. Uh, but I think, like, to go back to where, to find where we were back before, like, there is, there's this complex vocabulary. Definitely. That we, we just, it's just so, so interesting to explore. And I think these directors like Scorsese, they just get it. They understand, mm-hmm. you know, not, not every Scorsese is great, you know. Like, sure. But, yeah. like, not every director can great. Like, even Terrence Malick, the last three Terrence Malick movies have kind of, been weird. Ooh, controversial. <laughs> I mean, you liked one of them. <laughs> I did like the one. Oh, man. It was a Knights of Cups, of or was it... Song uh, to Song. I like that one. Yeah. I haven't seen Knights of Cups yet, but... But it's like... Cups, right? Yeah, I watched a little bit of Knights of Cups, and I'm like, okay, no. You know, but I love Tree of Life, you know? like, <laughs> And I'm very point. excited about the new movie coming. You know, it's already won the Palme de Leor in Venice. Like, it's... it's, it's you yeah. pronounce that better than I... <laughs> yes! <laughs> I'll try. I'm a fail. I have a little bit of Spanish Latin me, so like I can pronunciate Latin words you, close to proper. Maybe he's born with it. Yeah, maybe I'm born with it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So how are we gonna let's, let's finish this up? Let's kind of find a way to kind of sum up to our audience, uh, like why they should go see a movie like this, or why they should even try to kind of like explore it, like 
these deeper themes in movies. Like, I mean, we're opening up a rabbit hole for like a rat, you know, like that rabbit, what is that, a rabbit hole. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Uh, down the rabbit. Down. Hole. <laughs> you're going down a rabbit hole of us. Like it's and it may go down different places. So like when you explore a movie like First Reform, why? Let's say, like, why would we want to have somebody to kind of see it if they haven't seen it? You know, like, I think there are some definite universal themes, um, like we mentioned, faith and doubt, um, our responsibility with the earth as people of faith, and things like that. And those are issues that aren't going away; they're only getting, they're increasing. Yeah, they're, they're only increasing. Um, so, scroll. if you have a curiosity about either side of those and um, what it may be like to think both and about things that are usually framed in either or that's more than anything first reformed i think provokes question but also comfort in a in uncertainty and like you said before jason our modern age is all about certainty all about like i can think of cancel culture that wants to say yes to this yeah. and no to that and not allow any sort of grace for things that are that's beyond so the realm hard. of what and that's what's so unique about we're this ready movie. to accept. Yeah, it talks about grace. It talks that grace is painful. It hurts. Right. It, it is, is a, like coming said, to die. It's yeah. coming to die. You have to die yourself to actually experience real grace. And I think, I think it's so interesting because, like you said, for people our age who've grown up in a, a certain, a very certain culture, even within our within the spiritual culture of the church that we're trying to understand grace better. Definitely. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of it, we have to go back to the, or the old Catholic writers, like, you know, or, or the priests like Martin or Richard Rohr. Would be great. Yeah. yeah. And I think, that, I, think, I think it's happening. I think what we're, we're watching, it, it is a very harsh dismantling of the culture, like from Catholicism yeah. down to Baptists, to the scandals, and you're seeing churches that are kind of like re-examine themselves. Right. Like, and you're seeing the culture kind of saying, okay, I don't want this. And, you know, like, and like, they're asking for what our generation is very clear on authentic, like an authentic voice, mm -hmm. but we don't right. know what authenticity is. And I think that's something that yeah. we're seeing is like a generation that thinks authenticity is in this, you know, strong certain arm, strong yeah. voice or in this certain liberal outspoken voice. Mm -hmm. And there's like, no. An authentic voice is sometimes a whisper. Yeah, and I would, just to jump on that, I think definitely First Reformed, one of the reasons that I would encourage anyone to watch it is because it will sort of thrust you outside your comfort zone in a way, cinemagraphically, oh, yeah. in regards to character development, dialogue, pretty much all around. And sometimes we need that. We need these jarring images, these really provocative conversations and tense interactions we need to see them on a screen separate from our own existential issue or our own ability to say no, i don't want to i don't want to think about that i don't want to question my belief right now i don't want to question my certainty or even my doubt sometimes my doubt is comfortable and so to see it sort of projected and in very bold images i don't want to give away too much very bold. Some, yes, very bold images. <laughs> Especially the end. Bold. <laughs> bold. Very bold. But not in like a bad way. It's great. Yeah. You should check it out. So, yeah, I think that that is really helpful. Um, art it has this incredible ability to be a universal language, but to also sort of call forth inquiry and reflection in a way that other media can't. And First Reformed has the ability to be that vehicle 
in a spiritual way for people. So that's why I would say check it out and watch it because when I did, I couldn't shut up about it for a week and everybody at church was really I annoyed. <laughs> I know. Oh, well, they were just annoyed at the both of us. What movie is it again? Yeah, and like, like, why are we watching this? Yeah, it's like, first reformed. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of church, like you have two, you have us two just talking. There's like three people just like slowly wander away. Like, I'm so sorry. I apologize to all my friends for same. being such an idiot. <laughs> it's a, it's kind of fun to watch. I got to get a little amusement out of watching like when the two of us nerd out about we movies and we just start talking and then you just watch like our our friends like look at each other and they're just like Abby Abby stop <laughs> Jason like like this is why we're doing a podcast literally they kept on just saying why aren't you the two of you doing this like you two have this like weird his girl Friday like speech pattern <laughs> of like of like overlapping each other on dialogues I watched and a lot of anti mame as a kid and I wrote down you every word huge... that I didn't understand so. <laughs> I, can, I can see that your role models were Rosalind Russell and Lauren Bacall Oh, that pretty much nails it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if you can nail mine. <laughs> Definitely um, William Powell. <laughs> oh, yeah. William Powell. Sure. Scorsese. Scorsese. <laughs> it's the glasses, it's, man. <laughs> yeah, Scorsese is definitely a role model. I did watch a lot of his like documentaries <laughs> on film. Like, and I would just think, ooh, I can be. I can see the nebbish Scorsese. You just learned a lot about both of us. Yeah, thirty yeah. seconds. <laughs> 30 second. Little bit of Tarantino. I think the way I talk about movies right. like Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez, were. Yeah. Like I love their like encyclopedic knowledge of movies, and I think mm-hmm. like when I would watch them. Movies, I mean, ideally, every man wants to be like Cary Grant, but... I mean, he's a hell of a guy. <laughs> yeah. But I would say I'm more of a William Powell. But all right, that's how we're going to end it. Uh, we actually have another podcast coming to interview <laughs> us about this podcast, so... They're lining up around the door. Look at that. All right, so thank you. Uh, we'll get back to you next month. Have a great week. Month. Year. <laughs> yeah. That was good. 40 minutes.